Welcome, welcome. Uh, we are in week two of our So Will I series, as that beautiful video just portrayed. You know, as I was getting today's message ready, I, I mentioned to my wife midweek that I was working on what has to be one of my top five passages, favorite passages in all the Bible. So as I'm studying it again and refreshing it in my mind and getting eager to, to preach it here this weekend, I mentioned to my wife, wow, I'm really looking forward to this coming Sunday. And she said, well, in that case, so will I. She was very proud of herself. <laughs> so I'm usually the one who makes cracks like that, so this was a little role reversal. You know, I, I mentioned how much I love this passage. I want to tell you what a significant role it's played in my life, not just recently, but actually for decades. Uh, I first came across it as a young Christian. I came to Christ in 1969 and raised up in youth groups in the church, and this very quickly became a significant passage for me, to the point that it, it made an impact on a very special day in my life as I began to head into full-time pastoral ministry. There's a ceremony that we did much more back in the day than I think we do today called an ordination ceremony. It's a moment in which a pastor becomes a reverend. Uh, and it's a big deal. Uh, it's a big examination and quizzed by a council of other pastors. And, and if you pass, then there's a, a ceremony, a service where everybody is invited. And there's a moment of prayer as they pray for the person being ordained. And I was that person. So uh, it's, it's traditional for the person being ordained to kneel on the front of the platform. So I'm, I'm going to try to recreate that moment and see if I can get down there. I was in my 20s when I did this last time. So uh, I was down kneeling, something like this, and, and I set my Bible like this on the platform in front of me. And then I looked at it and thought, well, this is kind of a bad omen. I'm going to spend the rest of my life opening this book and, and studying it for my own heart's sake and, and helping other people to grasp it. It shouldn't be closed as <laughs> I'm being ordained. So I thought, and this is all in the space of 10 seconds, right? I thought I should open that Bible to something. And I, I didn't want to randomly open it. So what passage should I open it to? And what I did was I flipped it open to Isaiah chapter 6. The passage we'll be studying today because that was and remains, oh, it's not as easy to get up in my 50s as it was, almost 60s, as it was back then. That was and remains kind of a bellwether passage for me. It was something that has shaped my heart for a long time. And I knew as we began this series, it fit very, very well into what we're talking about. Because John launched us last week talking about God speaks and we respond. And, and we, we respond the way, in obedience, the way creation does, as that beautiful song portrays. Well, today we'll look at a passage in which God spoke and his prophet responded and did so in a way that changed his life forever. And I'm convinced that if we, as we continue in this So Will I series, if we see Isaiah as an example, and if we take what he did and decide that's something we're going to do as well, our lives could be changed forever also. I want to read the big idea and I want you to read the last three words with me. When I get there, if the prophet Isaiah shot his hand up into the air when God asked for volunteers, everybody, so will I. Lord, would you make that true in our hearts, not just in our words? Would you make us imitators of this man? And we thank you for this beautiful passage. Please shape us with it. And we pray that you'd speak because your servants are listening. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6, if you have your Bibles or your phones or your devices, whatever it might be. This is the actual moment when this man became God's spokesman. We're going to see that, that there's it's basically a, a fairly long and intense job interview as God brings Isaiah into connection with himself in an unforgettable and powerful way, reveals that he has a job for someone to do, and enlists Isaiah 
in his service. Most of the time we'll spend on the job interview itself. And it begins in Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah speaking, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Imagine this, folks, as I read it. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. It all begins when Isaiah saw the Lord. And he didn't see the Lord in just any random way. He saw the Lord the way the Lord chose to reveal himself to Isaiah. In the way Isaiah needed to see him and know him in order to consider doing the task God had in mind. God revealed himself as high and exalted, as seated on a throne. Who deserves more to be on a throne than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? This picture that God gave of himself to Isaiah is a a majestic one. And it's one in which he's being worshipped by angels. Seraphim are are a category of angels. There are several different categories, and seraphim are one of them. These seraphim had six wings. Not all angels have wings. That's a bit of a myth. But these ones do and did. And they had six of them. And with two, they covered their feet out of respect for, for God. With two, they covered their face because even angels couldn't bear to look on the bright holiness of Almighty God. And with two, they were flying. And these angels were crying out a phrase that is fairly well known. It's been sung in hymns throughout the centuries. They were singing out, crying out, Holy, holy, holy. Three times holy. Friends, when when the Bible, people repeat things, especially in, in Hebrew thought in the Old Testament, it's a way of underlining it. They didn't have bold face back in the day. They didn't have all caps like we do uh, on our Facebook posts. Now, the, the way they underlined and emphasized was to repeat it. Saying God was holy would already make it true, right? Don't have to repeat it. But when he, they repeat it, holy, holy, then it's really true. And when they go to the third holy, God is three times holy. That's a way of saying God is so holy. He's so pure. He's so set apart. That's what the word holiness means. He is so set apart from all that is created and all that is evil and all that is bad. And he is so above it all that we can't help. Angels themselves can't help but constantly cry out in his presence. He is three times holy. Friends, God knew as Isaiah began considering this task that the most important thing was for him to have a clear picture of God. And and it's important for us, all of us, to have this complete and well-rounded picture of God, to understand him as he reveals himself. One of my favorite authors is a a theologian named A.W. Tozer. He wrote a book called Knowledge of the Holy, in which he says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why do I believe that? What comes into your mind? What comes into my mind? When we think about God, when the word God crosses our awareness, what do you picture? What do you imagine? Does it correspond to the real God of the universe, God as he has revealed himself? It must, especially if we want to be good servants of his, if we want to get involved in his mission, we've got to see him as he truly is. 
And happily, he's not hiding. He reveals himself in his creation. He reveals himself in his word. He wants us to know him. He wanted Isaiah to know him. And that is why at the very beginning of the job interview, God says, here's who I am. And as we get to know him, we have to wrestle with some of the extremes that are true about God because he's really complex. He's even complicated in some ways. He's both incredibly holy and incredibly loving. So holy that we would wonder, like Isaiah will in a minute, who am I to be in his presence? Look how incredibly powerful and mighty and pure and good he is. Am I really welcome here, knowing me as I am? But on the other side, he's also incredibly loving. In front of that throne of a holy God is a welcome mat with your name on it. Yeah, that kind of blows our mind, but we have to wrestle with these things, embrace these paradoxes. He's so big, he fills the universe. And so small, he fits in a manger. He gives the law, and he gives his life. He's the lion, and he's the lamb. He's the almighty God, and he's our friend. And if we erase one side of these equations, we only know God part way, and that's not good enough. <laughs> it's an incomplete picture of God. Now, we're ten- each of us tends to lean more naturally in one direction or the other of these words I've mentioned. Some of us tend to think about God in that holy, majestic, powerful, who am I to be in his presence kind of way. And that's not bad. It's all true. But that means because he's revealed the other side as well, we need to focus and push ourselves to see him as our sacrifice and the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the one who calls us friend. We may have to push ourselves, but it's healthy. Others of us lean more naturally in that direction. Jesus is my buddy. He's my companion. He answers my prayers. I love him. And we might need to, if that's true, push ourselves to see him the way Isaiah did today. Holy, holy, holy. Who am I to be with him? And when we wrestle with these things, when we embrace this incredibly complex God, good things begin to happen because we begin to know him as he truly is. And the best thing that happened when Isaiah had this majestic picture of God is that after looking at God the way he revealed himself, then this prophet looked at himself in all of his problems. And the job interview continues in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, Israel knew, because God had told them, that they couldn't really see God and live, because he's so amazing and so powerful and so holy, they would not survive the experience. They would get blown away, literally. God had told them that. So along the way, God found ways to reveal himself, take away the veil in some cases and, and show parts of himself. And God arranged for Isaiah to see God to a certain extent. But he, but he was keenly aware that compared to that God, look at who I am. Look at who my people are. I'm a man of unclean lips. I sin. And I live among a people who sin too. And my eyes have seen the king. I've got a problem because he's God. And I'm not. And now I see how far I fall short of him. That's not a bad place to be, friends. That's actually a very healthy place to be. It's even a crucial place to be. Because after we see God as he is, and that's important, we have to see ourselves in relation to him as we are. And that's equally important. It's a crucial step. 
And we need to do those two things in the proper order. I love it. First, he said, I saw the Lord. He began there, and then he saw himself. And that's the right order. Because then we see him in all that he is, ourselves and all of our problems, and now we're ready to ask for help. If we flip the order, bad things start to happen. If we look at ourselves first and consider ourselves as kind of the standard, and then we turn to God and look to see, okay, God, what do you have that will complete me? What do you have that will help meet my agenda? What, what can you do to get me where I want to go? Do, do you hear the problem here? <laughs> Who's in charge? We are. Doesn't, doesn't, maybe you've never done this. I felt like this. Every once in a while, I feel like my prayer time is giving God his assignment for the day. Okay, God, here's what I need from you. Do X, do Y, do Z, and then I'll be pleased. It's as if we're giving God homework. We, we do that. And, and that's, that happens when we look at ourselves first and see God through the lens of us. And we look to see how he can help us reach our goals, fulfill our agenda. But when we start with him, all of our goals get shoved aside. Our agenda gets obliterated. <laughs> we see him. Wow, that's God. And now, Lord, I see myself. I need your help. If I'm going to be the person you want me to be, if I'm going to embrace your agenda and your mission and your goals, something's got to happen because I'm not qualified. And that's a safe place to be because the job interview continues with God rendering him qualified. After this man acknowledges his own sinfulness, then something good happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he'd taken with, thong, with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What an incredible moment, isn't it? Because he hasn't even asked for that. Let's be honest. He didn't ask for it. And notice, he's done nothing to earn it. All he knows is he's a failure. That by this holy God's standards, he is so far from being who he should be that he's just, woe to me. But he discovers how eager this holy God is to be also forgiving. He discovers how delighted this majestic God is to wipe sin away and deal with it. So without Isaiah even having to ask for it, God directs one of those angels and he touches his lips with a hot coal. That's where the sin was identified that Isaiah had talked about. And, and, and now he heard these wonderful words. Your guilt is taken away. Oh, those are good words. Your sin is atoned for. I fixed it. You don't feel qualified to be in my presence. I've dealt with that. That's the kind of God I am. What a wonderful thing for Isaiah to learn. He experienced the undeserved forgiveness of that holy God. And then the job interview continued. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Now, friends, notice, at this point, he knows nothing about the task God is talking about. He didn't know he was going to face a job interview that day when he woke up. <laughs> he, wasn't, he didn't apply for it. He didn't say, Okay, God, I'd like to sit down with you and talk about my life. No. As far as we can tell, one day, boom. God appears, and there's a job interview going on. And God hasn't even described the job yet. All he's done is dealt with the sense of lack of qualifications of the man he's dealing with. And then when he says the simple phrase, who will go for me, whom shall we send? 
which tells Isaiah, this God, three times holy, gracious and forgiving, loving and majestic, he's got a mission to give to somebody. And that's when his hand went up. That's when Isaiah said, here am I, send me. He volunteered knowing nothing about the job. Friends, that's not unusual in the pages of Scripture. Not at all. In fact, it seems at sometimes to be normal. Take the, the situation of Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel that Isaiah was about to be a prophet for. You know, when he was first encountered by God, God said, here's my mission for you. I want you to leave your home, leave your father's house, leave your nation, and go to the land where I will send you. Basically, Abraham, start walking and I'll tell you when to stop. That's all he knew. But that's what he did. <laughs> he said, okay, if you're God and that's what you want me to do, I will do it. Moses, God comes to him and says, Moses, I know you've got a, a history with Egypt. You were born there. You were raised there. You killed somebody there. You're a wanted man there. It's been 40 years since you've been there. I want you to go back there. And Moses argued and negotiated and, and, and tried to get out of the deal, but eventually said, okay knowing very little of how God was going to set his people free, of what it would take, this, this public tug-of-war with Pharaoh and all of it, with the most powerful man on the planet who with a word could have put Moses' life to an end. They didn't know going in that was what was it was about. What about Mary? God comes to her one day and says, you're going to have a baby. You're going to birth the Messiah. That's about all you need to know right now. And she embraced it. We celebrate her faith today because with that little information... And what if she had known? What if she knew what it was going to be like to watch her son grow and, and become famous and infamous at the same time and, and loved and rejected, become the enemy of the leaders as the people loved him but were unfaithful to him? What if she knew she'd one day stand at the foot of a cross and watch him die? I think God was kind to Mary, to keep the details away. I think he was gracious to Moses to say, you'll find out when you get there. Haven't you gone through things where you, if I'd known this at the start, I'm <laughs> not so sure I'd have chosen this path. It's a good thing that God gives us the information as we need it. And that is what is happening with this man, Isaiah. So let's summarize what's happened in this job interview up through verse 8. I saw the Lord. Wow. I saw myself. Yuck. He forgave me. Really? I heard his voice. Seriously. And I responded. Here am I. Volunteer. Right here. I know enough to say, your mission is my mission. Your task is my task. All I need to know is that it's yours, God. And that makes it mine. Now, now we get to the job description. And it's not pleasant. I don't have the verses on the screen. I'll just read bits and pieces. If you have your Bibles open, you can follow. Now, after he volunteered, God's, God begins to describe the job to him. Verse 9, God says, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. In other words, you're going to fail, Isaiah. By every human standard, you will be a failure. Because I'm going to send you to speak to people who don't want to hear what you have to say, who will not listen to you, 
who will not be changed by your message. Your mission is one of constant failure. Welcome to the, to the, to the job. Right? And then Isaiah has a pretty natural reaction. I would have it too. Uh, Lord, how long? <laughs> how long do I have to do this? And he, God answers that question in verse 11. Oh, just until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, the fields are ruined and ravaged. In other words, the job I'm giving you will never work, Isaiah. By your standards, you will never feel successful. Friends, it's a lousy gig that this man has volunteered for. And let's pretend you and I were around the corner listening to this whole interaction between God and this man. Let's imagine that we were friends of Isaiah and and we're kind of concerned for our friend because, wow, what kind of life is this going to be? So he comes around the corner from this interview and and we stop him and say, Isaiah, we can't help, (laughs) you couldn't help it over here, the smoke and the angels, a pretty dramatic moment. Uh, We can't help but wonder, now that you know what the job is, are you really going to do it? You volunteered before you knew. Now that you know, I mean, Isaiah, I get it. When my wife says, who wants chocolate chip cookies? I volunteer. I'm enthusiastic for that mission because I love it. But the mission you've been given, you volunteered before you knew. Don't you want to renegotiate? Don't you want to revisit your decision? I think he would say, if we stopped him, something like this. I think he would say, you know what, guys? You should have seen it. I just saw God in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his power and holiness. And yeah, I saw myself. (laughs) Wow. And all of my problems and all of my sin and all of my inability and lack of qualifications to ever serve a God that holy. And then I experienced his forgiveness. He reached out to me. He initiated the conversation. And wiped my sin away. And then I heard his voice. Guys, you should have heard his voice. You should have been there, knowing that voice was meant for you. And when I heard it, yeah, I responded. I volunteered. And I get it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This morning, I would have said I'm crazy. But based on what I just experienced, I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing what he asked me to do. And by the way, the rest of the book of Isaiah is a record of his commitment to that incredibly difficult task, the one he volunteered for when he knew so little about it. And that's why we're holding him up as an example in this So Will I series. That's why today's big idea is this. If the prophet Isaiah shot his hand up into the air when God asked for volunteers, so will I. If you and I, friends, can embrace the same spirit, have the same reflex that this man did. Boy, can you imagine? Now, what what does this example mean for us today? So far, we're mostly talking about something that happened 3,000 years ago. How's it going to change us when we walk out of this room today? I think it can change us in some pretty powerful ways. But we have to go through the same steps he went through in order for that to happen. First, we have to see God as he is, as God's word reveals himself. We have to get that holy and majestic and powerful and intimate and loving picture of God, which I've been recalibrating for 40 years now, always looking, okay, is my picture of God complete? Where should it grow? It's a lifelong process. And as we embrace that process and get to know him better and better, 
we also get to know ourselves better and better. And some of that is painful. I'll bring you some painful moments in just a minute. Some of that is, wow, he's faithful, I'm not. He's holy, I'm not. He's good, oh, I wish I was, but I'm not. So that second step has to be there. Woe is me. And then the third step, when a a God who delights in forgiving sinners reaches out and says, I've wiped your slate clean. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. I do it because I enjoy doing that. It's the kind of God I am. Now, if that's happened to you, and I hope it has, if you've gone through those three steps, then you're ready for the next two. If you haven't yet, then please come talk to me. Talk to somebody. We want to help you get there. It's life-changing. Trust me. But once we have, then those last two steps, hearing his voice and shooting our hand up in the air is all that is left. Now, that voice is sometimes crystal clear. There's parts of God's voice to us today that are as clear as what Isaiah heard in the temple that day because God wrote a book. Books have words. Words are made into sentences. Sentences form commands. And much of God's mission for us today could not be clearer because we read about it. He says, if you love me, do these things. If you follow me, do these things. Let me walk you through a partial list of some of those. And this is where it's going to get a little squirmy. Ready for this? First Thessalonians, God says, flee immorality. Flee moral sin. That's what he's asking of those of us who follow Jesus. By the way, keep in mind every step of these next five minutes. He doesn't just give the command. He gives the power to obey the command. Because the Holy Spirit's in us, and he gives us the will and the, and the work for his good pleasure. He makes us understand his will and want to do it, and gives us the power to do it. But here's one. Flee immorality. Are we fleeing immorality in our day, or are we running to it? If we checked your computer history, would we know you're fleeing immorality? If we looked at the novels on your bookshelves... If we looked at your Netflix playlist, if we were with you on the date with your significant other to whom you're not yet married, would we know this is a person who understands God's plan for our bodies, for sexuality? Would, he under, would we know, oh, this person looks at these things differently because we know God and we know ourselves and we've been forgiven and now his mission matters to us? Friends, that's just one. There are others. Honor your father and your mother. Couldn't be clear. Beginning of the Bible to the end. If we were there when you're talking about your folks, would we know that you know that's God's mission for you? Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. That's a, that's a big category because Jesus makes it clear when he talks about that commandment that he's not just talking about the neighbors who look like us and talk like us and think like us. No, he's especially talking about the ones that are very different from us, who don't talk like us, who don't look like us, who think in ways that seem bizarre to us. When Jesus told a story to drive home the importance of this commandment, he purposely chose a a Samaritan to be the one in need. And he he had all these people walk by that Samaritan, just saying, he's not one of us. I don't care about him. Until one person, I'm sorry, the the, the beaten guy was was an Israelite. One Samaritan finally comes along and says, oh, I'm going to stop because that's not a them, that's an us. That's not a a, somebody else, that's part of me. 
And that's the person who expressed the love of the neighbor in the story that Jesus told. So do we give in to the tenor of our day and divide our world up into us's and them's? The us's who are like us and make us smile and make us comfortable, they're the ones we love. Those are easy to love. Anybody loves them. The child of God, living in the power of the Spirit, loves people who are radically different. In fact, Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What kind of a mission is that? It's God's mission. And we need to resist the temptation to create that us and them division in our world and recognize we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Another one, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Wow, wow, that's huge. <laughs> okay. Now, I hope it helps. To, I don't, nobody thinks that means every second of every day you have your head bowed. But we're called to pray without ceasing the way I've been coughing without ceasing for about the last six weeks. Right? It's not that I did nothing but cough. But every place I went, I was coughing. <laughs> Someone just coughed. <laughs> right. Thanks for that prop. I appreciate that. Now, that. That we are called to have prayer be such a regular part of our lives that every place we go, prayer is coming with us. Because God is coming with us. So why not talk to him along the way? These are all some of the commands God gives us. Give generously and joyfully. Because God loves a cheerful giver. That part of our lives with him in obedience to his mission is, God, you've given me so much. Or even, God, you've given me a little. But part of it is going back to you. Because I trust you and I love you and I'm grateful. That's something he's calling us to. Friends, these are the crystal clear ones. And we should really focus on those. There are others that are a little tougher to figure out. I can't help you as much with those. God's going to guide you into some of those more vague. I I can't find you a verse that tells you what job you should take or where you should live or with whom you should spend your life or what ministry you should jump into. But I can tell you all those things matter to God. And he's going to guide you in his mission into that right place. Are you feeling a tug from God to join a serve team here at Heights? To, to, to change your relationship with this body of believers so you're not just coming and enjoying it, you're now investing in it. That you're saying, yeah, I, I kind of want to find my place. I've been here long enough. I feel like this is home. I no longer want to just receive. I want to give. I want to give some of my finance. I want to give some of my energy. Friends, you'll be hearing in coming weeks some things that we believe God has on our horizon as a church that really excite us and that will not work without people saying, here am I. I want to help. I want to serve. I want to be part of this new ministry. I want to see God expand and push out and allow us to serve him in ways we've never done it before. And if we, in the course of these few weeks, all absorb the the heart of Isaiah, if we all look at God the way he is and look at ourselves as we are, experience his forgiveness, hear his voice, and shoot our hand up in the air, nothing will stop us, friends, because God is in it. Because it's God's mission and we're serving a living and powerful and holy God. And I can't wait to see what he'll do with an entire congregation of people who have the heart of Isaiah. Entire congregation of people who say, you know what, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. And if, we're, if, if people in God's word were called to obey him even at cost, so will I. And if Isaiah shot his hand up in the air before he even knew what the job was, so will I. I can't wait to see what he'll do. Lord, thank you that you've gave us this example in your word. Thank you that couldn't be clearer. 
But Lord, we, we shrink from it. We, we confess that to you. We wonder what the cost is and whether we're able and all the things that make us shrink back. Would you make us bold? Bold to get to know you. Bold to experience your forgiveness. Bold to serve you in ways we cannot yet imagine. Bold to say, so will I. God, we ask that you would make that happen. I ask it for my heart. I ask it for the hearts of all my friends here so that you can bring yourself honor in ways we don't yet know and draw others to you in numbers we can't yet imagine because you will do that. We look forward to it in Christ's name. Amen.